Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to uh, see you. Um, now, the first slide I'm hoping will not panic you, uh, because I just would like to just go back over uh, the last few weeks to maybe just refresh ourselves and to remind ourselves while we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1 to 3. And we started off by looking at this whole idea of our vertical relationship with God. We said at the start that uh, chapters 1 through to 6 divide themselves up into two areas. So we've been looking at the idea of our vertical relationship with God, about what we believe in the first week. Sure. Okay, the second week we looked at um, an area of praise that Paul gives. And he says that we've been chosen in Christ, adopted, free and forgiven, and expectant in Christ, and also secure in Christ. And then we looked at... Ah, oh, fantastic. I've got the batteries in the right way now. Okay, fantastic. Then we looked at uh, Paul's um, idea of a practice and a process so that we can get to know our Father better through prayer. And we said that Paul talked to God about people and he talked to people about God. And there was this idea of a process. For Paul, he was constantly praying for the church and also for people to receive this spirit of wisdom and revelation. So the outcome for us like Paul, would be to get to know our Father better. And then just a few weeks ago, we looked at this idea of salvation. We looked at the old idea of us being a rebel, of being a failure, and those words from Paul in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And then we looked at verses 4 to 10, where it talked about God's amazing grace, his workmanship, and us being a masterpiece. And today, I want us to be able to look at the idea of us being a family. And this morning, we have already prayed together as a family, as God's church family. But as you see this picture, you might say, but Ian, I'm looking at the clouds at some water. There's a reflection there. And I hope that by the time we get to the end of today's sermon, that we will be able to understand that each and every one of us has a unique position, that we don't just look at a reflection and we have our own idea of what the church might be, but we can actually truly all see what the church is really like for ourselves and understand it and live it out. I would like to ask you a question this morning, but what's the picture that comes to your mind of a church? And I suppose classically, those of us who have been in the church for some time would always go back to Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 to 47, where there we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I just thought 
having looked at that sort of what I call the textbook idea, looking back to the traditional church back in the day when uh, the church began, according to Luke, I thought this morning, I would start this morning by giving you the conclusion of my sermon. And I want to start by saying to you, this will be the conclusion, so don't panic, all right? So the message today is a simple one. It is God saying to each and every one of us here that you are a part of my family, the hope of the world. And we can only do this when we put into practice and live out Paul's words from Ephesians. In verse 22, he says, when we are in him being built together, becoming a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit, we see a correct picture of the church, seeing what is at the core of Christianity. And I'll be ending with this slide here, because I think the family of God is about Christ. It is about our prayer. It is about learning about our faith. I don't know everything that there is. I don't know if you know everything, but I'm still on a voyage of discovery about deepening my faith with God. But also, we learn together about our faith, about what is important. It is about being kind and generous and helping others. It's also about evangelizing and sharing Jesus Christ with everyone else. So what's the earliest memory you have this morning of your local church? Is it those wooden, wooden pews? Is it coming in on a cold morning and seeing those stone walls? Is it going to a beautiful cathedral with stained glass windows? Or was it wearing your Sunday best and having to be super clean just one day out of seven? But maybe you can remember someone saying, once upon a time, I went to a chapel on the Sabbath. I have heard some people even say today that church is boring and going as far as to say it's even irrelevant. But contrast this with a, co- a quote from Bill Hybels. So am I clicking here? From Bill Hybels commenting on the local church Bill is the lead pastor, and just last week he announced his retirement next year. He's the leader of one of America's largest churches, but in a book called Courageous Leadership, he says, There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. And no other organisation on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. But to help us this morning, Ephesians gives us three pictures. Paul helps us to understand what the church is. He says we are fellow citizens with God's people, we are members of God's family, and we are part of God's temple. But when we read these few verses in Ephesians Paul gives us three clear pictures that we are the hope of the world. We are citizens with God's people. I wonder whether you've sometimes felt alone, even in a large group, or feeling out as though you've been left out of this group. What was that feeling about being on the outside? 
The Ephesians were Gentiles and were asking questions as to where they belonged. Remember, Paul was a Jew and the church in Ephesus was mainly Gentiles when Paul wrote his letters. Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 12, At that time you did not know about Christ. You were foreigners to the people of Israel and you had no part in the promises that God had and made to them. You were living in this world without a hope and without God. And going back in time to the Old Testament, God chose Abraham and later them becoming a Jewish nation, creating a Jewish people. But Paul's words are quite clear to the then local church. They were no longer foreigners and strangers, and sometimes words like alien was used. But here Paul is giving the first picture to the Ephesians and to us today of our status being fellow citizens with God's people. A recent song they heard the other day, it went, I am no longer a slave, sums up, where you and I are positioned as a child of God in an amazing family. It says, I am no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and sing, I am a child of God. We go on to verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We are members of God's family which gives to us a picture of a domestic situation. But Paul says in Ephesians earlier, in chapter 2 and verse 14, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And again, Paul makes it clear that Jesus' sacrifice and his death has now torn down once and for all the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. The church has become the hope of the world. And Paul's letter to the Galatians in 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The walls have come down, but how so easily we can put them back up? Maybe through anger, maybe through isolation, and even through feeling rejection. So what is the secret for this church at Milford Baptist? What is it for us about being the hope of the world? Well, the answer Paul gives to us in chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The key word is unity of the Spirit in Christ. One thing that people outside the church will do, they will very quickly use the word disunited. But we need to be united in Christ. It is hard to forgive. And when we have been hurt in the church, I know for one, it is hard to bring myself to forgive. But that is what Christ asked us to do. And we can do that in prayer quietly to the Lord. And sometimes it might even involve us going up to someone and saying that I am sorry. And in that situation, it's very hard if that person is unwilling. So we have to withdraw and say, Lord, I've done my best, but Lord, will you please keep me close to you at this time?
Having looked at being fellow citizens with God's people and being members of God's family, let's look at the bigger picture that Paul gives us about being a part of God's temple. We are part of God's temple, and this is the final picture in these few verses. And it's one that probably turns our mind and our understanding from being vertical, understanding something, but God's bringing about something very unique, and it almost needs us to stand us to stand on our heads, which I'm not going to ask us all to do this morning. If you could just do it gymnastically in your mind, I'll be very grateful. But this final picture is of people, not a building. The structure is so hard for us to explain to people. When we meet people, we sometimes say, would you like to come to church? But we know that we, in fact, are the church. We need to leave the service today knowing that we are God's temple and the hope of the world. But Paul begins with the foundations in verse 20. And he talks about the apostles and the prophets. And I've come to an understanding that that's about the Old Testament teachings and the early writings. And now we come to something which is very familiar to many of us. So with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. But when it comes to setting up any building, there are specific tolerances of starting point in one corner with the established setting out of the building. The chief cornerstone is sometimes seen as that stone that sets out the coordinates so that the building is safe and in the right place. The chief cornerstone is sometimes seen as that stone that is cut and put in place so that both the setting out of the building is right but also the angles are right as well. But equally, it is sometimes said to be one of the keystones in an arch that will keep the arch in place. Either way, it is the capstone that holds the building in order. So for it to build and to actually grow larger. But just for a moment, I would like you, if you have your Bibles this week, to turn to Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34 to 38, where you can read about God's presence and sometimes people ask me, where is God? Where is God? Verse 34 to 38 of Exodus talks about, about there being a cloud over the tent of meeting where Moses could not enter that tent of the meeting where the cloud has settled on it. And there's an example of something called the Shekinah glory that God was with the Old Testament people, the Jews. But wherever the ancient people of God went, God's presence was in the tabernacle. The idea that we are a part of God's temple is for us something very beautiful. And Paul was reminding the Ephesian church that they knew that there was a Jewish temple in Jerusalem that the Gentiles could not enter. And there was the temple of Artemis, Diana. The Gentile believers rejected the worship of, of other gods. So in answer to the question, where is God? Where is the presence of God? In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not of your own. So as we reflect on the idea of being the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, here in our services, we experience and know God's blessing Above all else, his presence in worship, offering songs of praise. Wouldn't it be wonderful 
if we had to explain one day to someone at the village fete, if we had an opportunity to have a service of songs of praise, to explain we don't need walls round us to praise God. So what is the purpose of us doing things together in the church? And I think as Andy alluded to earlier on in our service, I want to put forward some ideas for us, which have probably been said before, that the church, it builds bridges to seekers. It offers truth to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, to the downtrodden and the marginalised. It breaks the chains of addiction. It frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalised of this world. Whatever the capacity for the human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. But before I finish this morning, I started this message by saying, it is simple. God is saying to each and every one of us here that we are a part of God's family, my family, the hope of the world. We can only do this when we put into practice and live out Paul's words. In verse 22, he says, when we are in him being built together, becoming a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit, we can be getting a right picture of the church and seeing what is at the core of Christianity. So, what is church all about, Ian? It's about Christ. It's about us praying together. It is about learning about our faith and what is important. It's also about being kind and generous and helping others. It's about evangelising and sharing Jesus Christ with everyone else. And it's my prayer that we will no longer see the reflection of what we think church is, but to ask God to help us to work out what it is to be church here in Milford. Let us just pray for a moment.